Hopefully, some of you, I know some of you are involved in our small groups that we've been doing, this fellowship book club, and hopefully you're getting a lot out of what we've been reading the other half of church. But as we continue on with this sermon series through the themes of the various chapters, uh, I want to encourage you that even if you're not involved in a group, that these ideas are, they, they are powerful and they have an oppor- there's an opportunity here, as Lee Chung said, to really work on the soil of our lives, the soil of our hearts, to be open, receptive, to change and transformation by the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk to you about this beautiful little word, joy. And I don't know if you guys have ever used miracle Grow, but we've had a couple, we've, we've got some plants out in our backyard. So Sonia and our daughters were very hardworking uh, earlier this year. They went out and purchased and prepared all these plants for our backyard, our side yard there. And they've been beautiful all year long. And a couple of people have marveled at how big they are. And you know what made the difference? It wasn't, I hate to say, it, it wasn't that we are incredibly gifted gardeners, although Sonia does have quite the green thumb. But you know what? We, we bought soil that had fertilizer in it this year. That was it. <laughs> I mean, we watered it. We tended it. Sonia always was deadheading. But we, we got good soil this year. And in years past, uh, because uh, I'm somewhat of a stingy person, I would buy the regular soil that didn't have the fertilizer in it because it was a dollar or two less. Big bag, dollar or two less. And this year I thought, you know what? We're going to splurge. We're home all the time. It's quarantine. Let's just go. No holds barred. We're spending the $2.00 to get the fertilizer in the soil. What a difference it makes to have good soil. And so today I want to talk to you about joy, God's miracle grow. That God actually designed certain plants to grow best with certain nutrients, and God designed people to grow best with certain nutrients. And one of the primary nutrients that we need to grow is joy. Now, does that seem... Let me put it this way. Is anyone in here shocked by that? Does it kind of make sense? But let me ask you this. Is it something that you had thought of before you had been exposed to some of these ideas? I'll be honest. I had never thought about it at all. And as this described in the book, The Other Half of Church, this is written by a pastor. He said, in all his time in uh, seminary and training for as a pastor... He basically got zero teaching on joy. And I think the only teaching on joy that I remember growing up is that joy is something you can always have because it's an internal reality, and happiness is something that's passing and fading because it's an external reality. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is not. Have you heard that? That was kind of it. And what I assumed from that is I ought to be feeling joy, And if I'm not, there's probably something wrong with me, which would make me sad. Can anyone relate to that? I was re-listening to a sermon that I preached in 2017 on joy, which we're going to post again this week on our Facebook and on our YouTube, because I think it's, uh, if you want more information about joy and how to build joy, there's more in that sermon. But today I'm going to actually focus on something a little different. But uh, before I get into that, just I was listening to that sermon, 
And I was remembering, as I was sharing the story of my own uh, awakening to the realities of joy in our own Christian walk, and I could just tell how excited I was. I mean, in that sermon, I was uh, talking a mile a minute. I was, you know, feeling very animated and, you know, just thinking like, wow, that guy was excited about joy. And I'm still excited about joy. I still think it's just amazing what God has designed for us in our own walk with Him to really be uh, uh, catapulted into growth and transformation. And that joy is a big piece of this. Now, last week we talked about this reality, the last couple of weeks, that, that really God has this intention for your life and for mine. That it's not like you get saved and then God says, well, it doesn't really matter what happens now. Right? He actually has a purpose for you. And in Romans 8, we see probably the clearest explanation of God's will for your life. God's will for your life is that you look like Jesus. God's will for your life is that you come out of this whole process of walking with Him so that you don't look the way you did before, but instead you look like His Son. And I put this coin up here. This is uh, a coin from ancient Rome. That's Tiberius Caesar. He was the Caesar in charge when Jesus was walking this earth and when Jesus was put to death. And what Caesar would do is he would stamp a coin with his image on it. And you know the story in Matthew where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, do you pay, do you pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, hand me a coin. And they hand him a coin. And he says, whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And I don't think it's a big stretch to make a connection between that little passage and the idea that we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. You see, what should be happening to us as we experience the pressure of life is that we should come out of that pressure with the image of Christ on us. And if if we have the image of Christ on us, the image of God on us, then we can give our coins to Caesar and we can give our lives to God. I asked Paul to bring this in. Paul Ragusa is, is our resident leather expert. And this is just a coaster that he uses at home. Uh, it's got a little bit, some little water stain on here. It's, it's actually used. And then I, what Paul does is when he makes something with leather, and by the way, my guitar strap Paul made, um, my briefcase Paul made, he's just fantastic at this, um, that he puts his little logo on here. It says, Paul Ragusa, made in the USA. And I said, Paul, how do you get that on there? And he says, well, I've got this uh, embossing tool. What, is he, what do you call it? An embossing plate. So he brought that in. And this is, this is like serious, it's like a serious chunk of metal. This is the kind of thing that if you, you know those old scales that when you were growing up in school, you had to do the, the scales with the weights. This is like the heavy multi-gram weight, you know. And it says, of course, in reverse, Paul Ragusa, made in the USA. And, and Paul said, you know what I do is I put this, I said, you don't heat it up, do you? He said, no, I put it on the leather and I put, was it three to four tons of pressure on the thing? Not with his hands. He puts three to four tons of pressure on it, and when it comes out, it's got his imprint. It's got, it bears his image, not his face, but it bears his name, his image. 
the only downside made in the USA, I always tell people that this was my leather, my Italian leather briefcase. Uh, Paul's Italian, but it doesn't work when they see that USA. But, you know, this is the process. God says the, the pressure of life, you should come out on the other side of that bearing the image of Jesus. And um, what would that mean? Well, that means that we would be spiritually mature, right? Think about the spiritual disciplines. Think about your prayer life. Think about your trust in the Lord. It means you should be emotionally mature. Who is the most emotionally and relationally savvy person to ever live? Jesus Christ. We, need, we, should, we should be growing in our emotional maturity, our relational maturity. What about holiness? obedience you know holiness and obedience are not necessarily hot topics these days Uh, they're hardly hot topics in the church much less outside the church but god cares about our holiness Uh, and it's not again it's not this idea that oh you've got to measure up to some standard or you don't get into heaven the idea is if you're looking more and more like jesus because you're in that pressure you're in that uh what do you call that that you use, Paul, when, you, and when you're in that arbor press. <laughs> you, should, you should be coming out more holy than you were when you went in because that's what Jesus is like. Deeply connected to God and others. You know, Jesus talks about this a lot. He says, he says, he prays to the Lord, may the love you have for me also be in them, his disciples. And then I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me or you can do nothing. You know, this, this idea of deep connection, deep love, this bonding that happens. This, this is what it looks like to be like Jesus. And then that alphabet soup up there is just the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, imagine, imagine being able to uh, walk through life with those attributes on display regularly, regularly. I saw a lot of uh, different types of attributes on display after our, election, uh, or after our debate the other night. Uh, if you were on social media, if you were reading the news, if you were watching SNL, wherever you went, you saw some different attributes were on display. Uh, but how would it be different for you to be able to walk through life not uncaring, but maybe unfazed by the circumstances? that come to you you know it's long been said that uh your your uh, your happiness or your joy whatever is really about you know five percent what happens to you and 95 percent how you respond to it and so what we've been doing is we've said let's let's figure out how to change that 95 percent and last week we talked about this idea that we do have soil that needs to be fixed it needs to be Uh, we need to add certain nutrients to it. And there's some things that we might need to take away to strip out of the soil for us to grow well. And and I think we all want to grow well, right? I mean, that's something that we naturally and intuitively want and desire is to grow well. And so for the next few weeks, today and for three weeks after, we're going to talk about what we add to the soil in order to be more able and better equipped to grow in these, in these areas that we just talked about. Spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, holiness and obedience.
connection to God and others, and the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the four things. So today we're talking about joy. Next week, we're going to talk about this relational attachment. That's kind of the modern psychological term. We might call it steadfast love or covenant commitment. In fact, the author of our book uses the word chesed, a Hebrew term that we often translate love or covenant fidelity or, or steadfast love, these type of ways that we translate it. The third is a strong group identity. And of course, we have the perfect group to gain an identity from in the church. Uh, perfect not because we're perfect, but perfect because God designed it, God planned it, God created it so that we could be the family of God that he wants us and calls us to be. And then finally, this uh, healthy correction. And I did mention a few of the things that Sonia and the girls did, but I think joy is like that miracle grow for the soil, uh, relational attachment. Uh, let's just be random here. Maybe that's the water. The group identity is the sun. And the healthy correction is, did you min remember I mentioned deadheading? Do you know what deadheading is? I never knew, of course you know Beth, I never knew what deadheading was until Sonia would ask me to go deadhead the plants. And I'm like, I don't even know what you mean. But it's when you take the flowers that are starting to fade and you literally break them off. And when you do that, you know what amazing thing happens? New flowers grow. It's amazing. I mean, I, that just seems counterintuitive to me. But sometimes we need our, in our lives to be deadheaded. We need someone who's willing to come break off the bad parts that are dying so that new good parts can grow. So these are the four things we're going to look at. Okay, so uh, let us talk a little bit about joy. I do believe that joy is something that really helps us maximize our growth. It helps us to uh, have the kind of uh, deep uh, uh, peace and courage and capacity to change and grow. Now, you know how when kids are growing, a lot of times they hit that point in life where they start growing really fast and they have growing pains. And they have these physical ailments in their body because they're growing. And also, and, and I know there's some teenagers in here and some future teenagers in here, so I don't mean this in any offensive way, but you know how crazy it is to be a teenager and to work with teenagers and to raise teenagers? You know, there is this aspect of growing up that's incredibly difficult. It can be jarring. It, ta it, it knocks you off your, your bearings, and you have to recalibrate. And there's, a, and there's kind of a regular recalibrating that has to happen from the physical to the relational to the emotional. So obviously, like, you know, like, I don't know if it happens to girls, boys, our feet often grow first. So we're bumping into things a lot. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you relearn to walk so that you don't hit things? Um, you know, all of a sudden hormones are flying and, and you're, you're excited one moment and crying the next. And that's just the parents of the teenagers trying to deal with this process that's happening. And, and, and you just think, how, how in the world do you manage all this, this new internal reality? And then all your relationships are changing. You're... You're, you're getting more independence from your parents. You're gaining new connections and attachments with others your age. And then they're going through all their craziness too. So you're all hurting each other constantly. It's hard. And it's scary. Well, guess what? So is all other growing. So how are you going to face that without a lot of joy? 
Joy is what gives us the capacity to face hard things. We've mentioned this before, but in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured its shame and the scorn of the, of the cross. And then he went through that process, and then he was able to be seated at the right hand of the Father. So what was the joy set before Christ? Well, being reunited with the Father, being raised up to a place of honor and glory, but also bringing lots of brothers and sisters with him who were destined for, for punishment, but now they've been received into the family. These are the things that, that Jesus, I believe, was very excited about, and it gave him the strength to press through the difficult things. We do the same thing all the time in big and small ways. So, you know, it might be, if I just, if I work one more hour, I'm going to let myself go get some ice cream or whatever it is that you like. And that's, that's kind of a, a simple way to give yourself something on the other side to look forward to. But as you're looking forward to it, you experience that anticipation and joy now. Well, with the Lord, we can also have that. But let's define what joy is. So you guys have, if you've been around, you've heard me say this quite a few times. Joy, we're defining joy as that sense or that deep knowing that someone delights to be with me, that someone delights to be with you, that when you walk in the room, their face lights up, that when, when it's your name on the caller ID, they pick up the phone and they're like, I'm so glad you called. You know, I... Um, have mentioned that I'm uh, uh, CO2 partners with Paul. So, you know, I called him yesterday, and uh, he was like, hey, brother, how you doing? And it's like, oh, man, it's so great to hear that on the, other, on the other side of that phone. And then later in the day, I called him back to see if he would bring this, and I actually felt kind of bad because I hate calling at night, and I've already called, and, and I almost was going to say, sorry I called you again. That's, that's what I was going to start my phone call with. Now, that speaks already to, like, where my head is, right? I don't want to bother Paul. But you know what? He answered the phone the second time. He's like, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, like this excitement that I called again. And so I didn't have to say, I'm sorry I called again. I could just go into it because I was received that way. It brought joy to me. And I didn't have to worry about offending or hurting or bothering because obviously he was happy to hear from me. Unless it was all faked, in which case, really well done. <laughs> really well done. But this is, this is what joy is all about. Joy is relational. Joy is something that you share with your face and your eyes and your voice. Joy is something that, um, that is taught to us when we're babies. What's the first thing you do when a baby's born? They hand the baby to the mother, usually to nurse, and the mother looks at that baby, and her face is, and we use this word, radiant. Radiant. Meaning that there's light coming off of her face. Right? And this is our first lesson in joy. Now, of course, not everyone's first experiences in life were that one. And not everyone's experiences after that continued that trend. Sometimes we come into families and there's a lot of struggle going on and not a lot of smiling happening. 
Sometimes we come into families that, quite frankly, we're not looking forward to us being there. Sometimes we come into families where there's not a lot of expression of any kind, much less, you know, a radiant face when you walk in the room or when they see you. And so we end up with these depleted joy tanks. You know, I think about how some cars have small gas tanks, and some cars have big gas tanks. I remember growing up, my grandpa would take me and my brother down to Mississippi where my great-grandpa lived. And great-grandpa owned a lot of land. He had these big farm and cows and fields and pastures, and he owned these different places. And we would drive around in the truck, and, our, and of course, we'd sit in the back of the truck, which you can't do today. But my brother and I would be in the back of the truck, and you know, we'd be driving around doing our thing, and all of a sudden, we'd stop. Uh, Grandpa would get out of the truck, and, uh, or, or he, would, he would flip this switch, and then we'd keep going. Grandpa, what are you doing? He's like, oh, this truck has two gas tanks. I was like, that's the coolest thing ever, two gas tanks. And, um, you know, so, but if you have a small gas tank, you still might have joy in your life, but you can't store a lot of it. And so we need to build our gas tanks a little bit bigger. And then we need to fill them, right? Because what happens if you either have or don't have joy? Well, a couple of things. When you have joy in your life, your identity is based on your connection and belonging to others. So, for example, when you know people are happy to be with you, or if your parents, your family, your siblings, your friends, your church community, you walk in and people smile and happy that you're there, then you know you belong. You know that you're in the right place. You know, it's like that old song from, from the TV show, Cheers. You want to go where everyone knows your name, and they're, all, and they're always glad you came. Like, that's where you want to be. That show hit on something powerful right there. But if you don't have that joy, then your identity is going to be based on your abilities. And, of course, you think about how easy this is to happen to all of us. You know, how do you define yourself? Oh, I'm a good student. Oh, I'm a successful person in business. Oh, I'm athletic. Oh, I'm, I'm a writer. Uh, I like to do this. I like to do that. And you, and you define yourself by your interests and your abilities instead of by your community that you're a part of, instead of belonging. You know, who are you? Well, I'm a son of the Most High God, the creator of the universe. That's what you can respond with when you have that joy. But when you don't, you might say, well, I, I kind of, my identity, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I fail a lot. I mess up. I do some things well, but not everything. Certainly not all that I hoped. You see the difference? But it's that sense of belonging, that being known that you're received and accepted that changes that. Also, with joy, your value is found in love. You know, what are, what are you guys worth? In my other job, I sell, uh, among other things, I, I'm a financial planner, so one of the things is I sell life insurance. And there's this thing that's called the human life value. Human life value. I can actually tell you, down to the dollar, how much life insurance coverage a company will give you based on your human life value. And everyone's is different. It depends on how old you are, how much money you make, how much money you have, these different factors. 
So if you're in joy, particularly if your joy comes from knowing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father in heaven smile when they see you and delight in you, then, well, my value is determined by them. And what value did Jesus place on me? What value did the Father place on me and the Holy Spirit? Well, the life of Christ. Jesus was willing to die for me. That means my value is the same as the eternal creator of the universe. But without that, well, it's only found in what I can achieve and how I perform. So do we want you in this church? Well, what can you do for us? Can you play an instrument? Can you welcome people when they come in the door? Can you help with the kids and the nursery? And Are you giving money? What are you doing? What are you doing for me, for us, that we would want you? I mean, this happens in churches, families, organizations all the time. But have you ever had that job where you showed up to work and you were eager to be there because you knew that the people you worked for were so happy that you were there? Have you ever had one of those? I have. It's fantastic. You love going to work because it's not about your performance. And then finally, when you have joy, you can live as your true self. And when I say true self, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean some kind of, uh, you know, ethereal, you know, oh, be, you got to be you kind of thing. What I mean is that your true self is the, is the you that God created you to be. And the you that God created you to be always looks like Jesus. Think about that for a second. If God's intention for you, if his will for your life is that you be conformed to the image of Christ, then when you are most yourself is when you look most like Jesus. But if you don't have joy, then you're, you're going to be living to prove, your, to prove yourself. You can't just be yourself. You have to prove to others that that you're good enough, you know, that you're worthy, that, that, you should, that you should be accepted. And sometimes you'll feel that you are, and sometimes you'll feel that you're not. But it won't be based on just who you are. It'll be based on what you can do, what you can provide. You know, this is a big deal. And so if you want this joy in your life, then you actually have to cultivate it. And we're going to talk the rest of our time about how to cultivate joy and what it means. Now, I don't know how well you can see this slide, but right in the middle, it talks about gratitude. Gratitude. And we're going to talk about gratitude and appreciation as a pathway to joy. God created gratitude to help us get to joy. Remember I said that I, I learned that joy is a constant state and happiness comes and goes with your circumstances? And so if I wasn't feeling joy constantly, then something was wrong with me, and that would make me sad. Because how can you just choose to be joyful? Can anyone choose to be joyful? Just straight up, direct access to joy? I actually think not. But there are things we can choose to do that will take us into joy. And gratitude is one of those. Thankfulness, appreciation, and what gratitude does is it actually reforms, and I'm going to get it dip in a little bit to the brain science here, it reforms our brain. Do you guys know how neural pathways work? So you've got these neurons in your brain, and basically it's, uh, and this is going to be not as an expert talking, so if you know more about this, 
give me any feedback you want. Um, but just in layman's terms, it's these connections that your brain makes, and they're actually electrical connections. It's kind of like wiring up a circuit board or something like that. So if you want to get from point A to point B, which means, means you want to have a certain type of thought, then you need to have a connection for your brain to actually be able to make that thought. So when you learn something new, you hear something new, you experience something new, uh, your brain literally makes a pathway out of these neurons. It's these neural, neural connections that are happening in your brain. And if that neural connection's not there, then you won't be able to think that thing. You ever have, uh, you know how people sometimes they will have uh, a hit on their head and they can't remember things that happened? Like my brother was in an accident, my brother-in-law, and he couldn't remember anything for a few days before the accident up until he came out of what was a long coma. So bef five days before the accident, he could remember, but after that, he couldn't. And what happened was he had these short-term memories that were never turned into long-term memories in his brain. He didn't have those neural pathways there, so he couldn't remember it. Well, it's the same with other things. When you study for a test, what you're doing is you're creating a neural pathway, and the more you study it, what happens is when you think something over and over and over, the brain makes that pathway bigger. It's kind of like going from a one-lane road to a two-lane road, then a superhighway. <laughs> And when the thing gets really wide, it's very easy for your brain to have those thoughts. Now, I'm not suggesting that our, our brain, our physical brain, is the cause and, and source of those things. There's something called a mind that's different from a brain. But you do need the hardware in place for the software to work. Does that make sense? If you don't have the hardware in place, the software is not going to run. So you need both. So what, what gratitude does with our brain is, one, it actually increases the hormones that make us feel joy. Serotonin, dopamine get released in our brain and then, you know, begin to, to flood us when we practice gratitude. And these are the joy, um, these are the, the, the joy, what's the word I just used that's jumped out of my head? What are they? Well, it's the, it's the chemicals. Yeah, so they're chemicals. Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> yeah, great. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. So these, these chemicals flood us, and we actually feel joy. We feel happy when they're, when they're in our body and in our heads. Other thing that gratitude does is it reduces fear and it reduces anxiety. The, the actual process going on in your brain to fear and to feel fear and to feel anxious, they get suppressed when you practice gratitude. So the thing that you were worried about, you become less worried about, and then these, the dopamine and the serotonin flood, and you start to feel good. So that's an immediate thing that happens. The second is that it rewires your brain for joy. It actually teaches your brain to be in joy, and what it's doing is it's creating those neural pathways and, and making them bigger so that it's easy to think joyful thoughts. Now, you may say, say, well, that sounds really silly. Like, are we really training our brain to think joyful thoughts? Well, when you face a difficult situation, some of us think things like this. I can't believe this happened again. I can't believe I'm going to have to face another situation at work that's just like all the others, and it's going to ruin my day or my week or who knows, maybe more. 
you're thinking that almost as a reflex. Why? Because you practiced it. You developed a habit of thinking that way, and you literally have this huge neural pathway in your brain that whenever X bad event happens, then Y bad thought follows. So you need to build a new pathway. Train yourself. It's actually a habit of thinking positively when something bad happens. As you do that, that new pathway gets bigger, and the old pathway that you're not using anymore starts to atrophy. It gets smaller. This is your brain's, this is the physical way your brain responds to changing your, the way your mind thinks. And so it literally gets easier to think positive thoughts and harder to think negative thoughts. This literally physically will happen in your brain. And this is how you change thought patterns. So when you practice gratitude, your thought patterns change because you're actually developing new habits. Do you know how they say it takes 30 days to start a habit? Why is that? Does anyone know? Because it takes 30 days to build that pathway. And it doesn't matter, I mean, to make it big, to really make it where you automatically go that way. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about character, if we're talking about athletics or music, if we're talking about mathematics. I mean, to this day, when I go to my parents' house and I drive from there, I'll leave out of their, uh, um, their neighborhood the exact same way and I'll just get on the interstate a certain direction and then, I won't, and then I'll realize, oh, I wasn't even going this way. It's just reflex. It's just what my brain does. And I realize that I have no idea. I don't remember any of the events from leaving the house to getting on the interstate because I was thinking about something else, but my brain was on autopilot. That's habit. You have to build that habit and I built it by leaving their neighborhood over and over when I lived there the same way every single day, multiple times, going basically the same direction. So it doesn't matter what it is you want to create a habit for. You've got to build it over time repeatedly. And then it becomes second nature. And this is what our character should be like. So... If we want to build joy, because joy is the fertilizer for all that good growth, then we need to practice gratitude. Now, we are going to talk about other things that we want to practice. So, for example, when you guys show up here, I know it's hard because we have masks on. We, our eyes should light up for one another. We should receive one another with joy. When I call you at night, say, hey, it's you, instead of, why are you calling me again? Or anyone, you know, not just me. This, these are the kind of things that we do together, but there's also things we can do on our own, or I would say with the Lord. So if you have one of your appreciation logs, either at home or if you got one today, pull that out. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Okay. Uh, Beth, could you grab those? Oh, Esther's going to do it. Thank you. So just raise your hand if you don't have one and we'll get one to you. All right. All right, so this is, this is a moment to practice, okay? So we're going to practice appreciation. Now, there's a couple of things that really help appreciation, really help you get the most out of it. Um, the first thing is 
you want to be able to identify the feelings emotionally and physically in the moment that you're grateful for. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And you ideally, you want to also feel a connection to the Lord while you're doing this. Because I will say this, the only person in your life that will always be happy to see you is God. Okay? So your, your spouse will not always be happy to see you. We want to work towards that. You can be angry at them and happy to be with them at the same time. It's possible. Your parents will not always be happy to see you. We're going to work on that. It's possible to be upset with your kids and be happy to be with them or upset with your parents and be happy to be with them at the same time. Uh, but the Lord will always be happy to be with you. And this is something that we want to be alert to. And it's going to help us build not only our joy, but our joy capacity. So we're going to build bigger tanks. All right, so if you have your appreciation log out, the very first thing that we're going to do is I want you to think of a moment, think of a moment where you felt connected to the Lord. So we're going to focus on a, a joy story about you and God today. Now, it could be during worship this morning. It could be during a prayer time you had. It could be the day that you got saved and came to Christ. Uh, it could be five minutes ago, 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. Just think of a time that you felt connected to God, where you felt joy with the Lord. And what I'd love for you to do is in two, three, four sentences, describe that moment. I mean, I, you can do it right now. I'm going to give you a moment. Describe that moment that you felt joy with God. By the way, if you're at home and you don't have one, I did send this out in our group, you know, email. So if you're not on the email list, another good reason to be on that list. Uh, but if you're not, then um, you can email us today and we'll send it to you. We'd love for you to have that. Okay, I'm going to share one for me, and I'm, so I'm going to do this live. Um, mine is, the one I chose for today took place in, in August, so it's about a couple of months old. Uh, and I was just kind of feeling like, frustrated because by the way all of this stuff is very personal for me this is this is the reason we're doing this in part is because i knew how much i needed it i've seen how much we need it but i was just feeling kind of stuck and feeling um frustrated that i that i that i wasn't growing the way i thought i should or would grow in different areas and just kind of thinking like i had this growth that happened and then it stalled what's going on god and i was leading a church 101 course at the time some of you guys uh, were in that course and there was a moment where we asked god to speak to us about something and i really felt like god was impressing on my heart this idea and it wasn't like audible words but just you know how god can lead you and and speak to you in these moments and i just sensed that that god was saying to me uh, this is a moment for you to uh, kind of get jump-started again. 
that I know you've been stuck, but it doesn't need to stay that way. You can start moving forward again. And I'm with you in this, and I haven't given up on your transformation. And by the way, I know that's true because the Bible, I think the Bible's pretty clear. God's not giving up on me. But to hear that felt powerful. And I felt encouraged and I felt overjoyed, which by the way, I'm already getting into number two, which is how did you feel? What are the, what are the emotions that you felt? So I felt encouraged, joyful, optimistic. Um, I felt like... Uh, I didn't consciously think before that that God had abandoned me, but I realized that there was some of that feeling that was under the surface that I'd kind of felt like God had just let me go. Like he'd started, but he hadn't finished. And now it was, God was, it was kind of like God was saying, hey, I'm not done with you yet. So with your story, write down the emotions and the feelings that you felt in that story where you felt connected to the Lord. Now, a lot of times what will happen is you will start, as you describe those feelings, you'll start to kind of feel them again. The cool thing about your brain is that when you experience an event or you remember an event, your brain doesn't distinguish in the emotional sensations that you feel between it happening and you remembering it. So if you can draw that story back up, then you can feel those feelings again. And I, I'm feeling them right now. Now, here's one that was really hard for me. It was hard for me to understand and it was hard for me to do. Is start to discern and think about and reflect on what did you feel in your body? List the physical sensations and body location. Now, here's the thing. We've talked about left and right brain the last few weeks and how what um, in our right brain, there's a lot of our identity. There's a lot of our, it, it manages our mood and temperament and our emotional state and the left brain is where we do kind of our cognitive, uh, you know, brainstorming and, and problem solving and that kind of thing. But the brain's always working both sides together. So when, when we have a well-connected mind and brain, then we should feel our emotions physically. And if you read the book, you saw this is all over the scripture and it's, it's all in our own language today. We intuitively understand this. So if you're nervous, you have butterflies in your stomach right? If you're, if you're elated, you're walking on air. You know, we, we use these phrases to describe these emotions, but they're manifesting physically. Um, you know, the Greek word for compassion is, is the word, is in the guts. I think it's splankne or something, some fun word like that, and it's, it's like in the guts, you know, you feel this, this uh, connection and, and compassion for someone. Uh, but where do you feel it in the body? So when, when I was uh, having this moment with the Lord, I think that it primarily felt kind of like a, a lightness around here. So kind of like a weight being lifted off. And I can't describe it more than that, but just like an openness in my chest. Some people feel it in their head. Some people feel a shiver on their spine, a tingling in the back of their leg or their arm. Um, some, you might get goosebumps. You know, so however you experienced it physically, and try to remember where in your body you experienced it. So if it was a lightness, where? Maybe it was a warmth. 
Does that make sense? Okay. And then what did you do in response? What did you do to respond to this moment? So for me, I was in a, in a small group meeting, so I shared it. And then I shared it with Sonia the next day, and I shared it with Paul that same day in our check-in. And I was just able to communicate that story and that, that encouragement that I received from the Lord to others. So what did you do in response to your story? Did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you jump with joy? Did you tell somebody? What did you do? And sometimes what we really want to do, we're either embarrassed or it's not appropriate in the moment to do. So what would it be most like you to do if you didn't have any of those inhibitions? So I shared a story before where uh, I was... Uh, just experiencing this great delight with the Lord and what I wanted to do was shout for joy. That's what was brewing inside. But there were people around, so that wouldn't have been appropriate. So I didn't shout for joy, but I wanted to. And then a moment of listening prayer. God, how do you feel about me or how do you feel about this moment that I'm remembering? So I encourage you right now to pray to the Lord Ask him and then just quiet yourself and see if he gives you a nudge or a sense or a leading. The Holy Spirit is speaking. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives. So it's not some kind of crazy thing. Just see if you hear anything. So when you share this, so I'm going to share right now, I encourage you to share it sort of like this. I don't know, but I sense from the Lord that he was telling me what I'm about to share. So we kind of hold it with open hands because we're not, this, we're not, we're not writing scripture here. Uh, we're not trying to, um, you know, be, be some kind of authoritative voice for the Lord. If you're a prophet, uh, then, you know, by all means, you can speak a little more forcefully. But a lot of times, it's just something like, I got a sense that God was saying to me right now that he was feeling compassion for me. And he saw, he saw the, that I was not in despair, but moving in that direction. And that he wanted me to know that he was for me. That's it. So you can write down what you sense from the Lord. And then finally, what do you, God, what do you want me to know? It could either be about the event or about right now. What do you want me to know? So just pray to the Lord and ask him.
Well, I didn't get anything not just now. I didn't get a sense of anything, which is okay. If we had more time, if I were by myself, I would probably just wait longer. Um, and I, or if nothing still, I might come back to it later. But it's okay to not put anything down. But if you got something, uh, God, what do you want me to know? Just write it down there. Um, and then I, you know, whatever that might be. And then finally, just title the memory. And the, and the assignment, if there's going to be an assignment, would be to tell it to three people. Because here's what happens. As you tell the story, your brain goes back to that place. You release dopamine. You release serotonin. You reduce anxiety. You reduce fear. You build a pathway. But you're also helping the other person listening to the story do the exact same thing. When you hear a joy story, your fear and anxiety will reduce. Your dopamine and serotonin will increase, and you'll build those same pathways. So every time you share a joy story or an appreciation story or a gratitude story with somebody, you're helping yourself grow and you're helping them grow. And then they can do the same. They can tell you one, and they're growing and you're growing. And then what also happens is that when you, uh, when you get to the point where you can just call up that title, so like I might, I might name this one uh, God's Reminder for Growth. That, that's even kind of longer than what I'd like it to be. Um, God's growth reminder. And I could tell the God's growth reminder story to three of you, four of you, five of you. I could tell the God's growth reminder story a year from now, and it'll bring all those feelings back. Even to the point where I can just say, God's growth reminder, and those feelings will start to come back. That joy will start to return. And so this is just a, a way to get into joy. So you can't just choose to feel joyful because... Uh, in a sense, joy is not necessarily all that different from happiness in that I think most of our experience is that joy is not constant. But here's the difference. Joy can be constant. So I would say you probably won't always feel happy, but I wouldn't make such a big distinction between joy and happiness in the first place. I think sometimes our joy goes away quickly when our circumstances change. But it doesn't have to. It needn't not. Because what we can find is that joy can become for us a grounding reality that we experience even when we experience other difficult emotions. But it is still an emotion, so you can't just choose it. But through gratitude, you can get back to it. And you can build your capacity for it. And so here is... If you guys are in our small groups, then you probably should already know about this. Or if you're reading along in the book, this is an Appendix B in the book, in the back of the book. So we're doing a 30-day joy exercise. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Collect five to ten of those appreciation stories that we just did. So you've got one today if you did it. Do five, six, seven, up to ten of them. Then... Try to spend five minutes using those stories to step into joy. And it, and it could just look like this. Lord, I'm remembering the um, encouragement you gave me in August that we were in that Church 101 course and you spoke to me and I heard you leading me to this and confirming for me that you weren't done with me yet and that I still had room to grow and that you were reigniting that for me. And you let me know that you were, had compassion for me and you saw me. And you can just kind of do this in your head. And so you might be able to spend a minute, two, three, on that one joy story. 
And then when you kind of feel the joy starts to not be as strong, move on to the next one. You might get through two or three. You might get through seven. But for five minutes, be in joy. And I've been practicing this. It's not easy to do it for five minutes. Um, but if you get knocked out of joy, that's okay. Just go right back into it. And then try to do it every morning, every afternoon, and every evening for 30 days. This is the practice. This is the 30 days of building the habit. And the idea is if you do this for 30 days, then you're going to experience these changed thought patterns. You're going to experience this rewiring of your brain for joy to the point where it will actually feel weird for you if you don't experience joy. It will actually be strange for you to have those, more strange to have those negative reactions. You'll start having more of those positive reactions. So I've been practicing my five minutes, but I haven't done my three times a day every day yet. So I'm going to start that today, tomorrow, but I'm inviting all of us to start this 30-day joy exercise. And then I want to hear some of your stories. So if you have a joy story that you're willing to share, uh, would you send it to us, send it to me, send it to Beth? And if it's okay to share it with others, would you let us know? I'd, I mean, I would love to, whether it's posting these on our Facebook page or putting one or two of them in our uh, prayer email, I, I'd love for us to just have this joy swap going on for the next 30 days. So if you have a joy story that you're willing to share, uh, it doesn't even have to have your name on it, although we'd love to know who it is, if that's okay. And we'd love to share those joy stories so we can all benefit. And then if you come to lunch with us today, chit-chat all you want, but share a joy story. You know, with one person, share a joy story when we're gathered today. And just let's see what God does. Again, this is the, this is the miracle grow that God wants to give us so that we can really see a jump start in our transformation and growth in the Lord. And let me pray for you and we continue to worship with singing.